Good morning. All right. This morning we are in Life of Paul. Our, we're continuing our series. This is Life of Paul series two. So this is the second part of his life. We actually have been discussing the second missionary journey that Paul took. And we're sort of coming close to the end of that story, the story of Paul's second missionary journey. And so today's title, if you notice, today's part 11, Corinth A. And that should give you a hint as to what next week's going to be about. Anybody want to guess? Yeah, Corinth B. If the Lord wills, that's the plan. So today we're going to learn the story of the time that Paul went to Corinth, but I can't say all the stuff I want to say in one week. Um, He spends quite a bit of time in Corinth. I think there's like more than one lesson to be learned from this passage. And so today we're going to do the the first part of the account of the time that Paul went to Corinth, and then um, if God allows me to, next week we will do the second part of Corinth. Um, So that's why it's Corinth A. Uh, Before we jump in, let me go ahead and just show you the map so that you can see like where we are geographically. So Paul um, lives over here sort of, and he, um, in his second missionary journey, went through an area called Galatia. And then these last several sermons, we've talked about what happened when he was in Philippi, and then he went to Thessalonica, and then Berea. And then when he left Berea, he went to Athens. And that was last week, our associate pastor, Doug Davison, preached on the, uh, the account of Paul in Athens. And now today, we're going to talk about Paul leaving Athens and going to Corinth and what happened there. Before we do that, though, so now you've seen it, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of these cities like Corinth and Athens and Ephesus um, and Rome, which would be over here. Italy would be over here, and so this would be Rome. Um, I want to talk a little bit about these cities that Paul goes to because I think it's helpful for you to imagine maybe a little bit of what it was like. Maybe what it was like for him is different than what you are imagining. And so I wanted to put a chart up on the screen. Um, this chart is, well, we made the chart, but it's, we didn't make the content of the chart up. I read it in a book by a guy named Tony Morida, and Tony Morida was actually citing a different person named Tim Keller. Um, Tim Keller wrote a Bible study on the book of Acts, and so he talked about comparing the cities that Paul went to in the book of Acts with modern-day cities. And so he just did it in sentence form. We made it into a chart. So this is Tim Keller's stuff, although I didn't go back to check the Bible study, so I'm quoting someone who's quoting him. But this is what he says. that the, um, There are these cities that Paul goes to, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, and Rome are the ones that Keller refers to. Um, Athens is where we were last week in the sermon, right? That's where um, Doug Davidson preached what happened with Paul when he was in Athens. So then he travels from there to Corinth. Um, after Corinth, the, one of the main next places that he will travel to is Ephesus. And then on his third missionary journey, he will go back to Ephesus. And then the story of Paul actually ends in Rome, from what we know of Paul. Um, so these are, the, these are four of the cities. And um, when Keller describes these cities, he describes them in different ways because they, are different, they have different cultures. Each city has a different personality. Each city has different things that it like, values and is known for. And so if you could put the second column up, um, he calls Athens an intellectual center, Corinth a commercial center, Ephesus a popular culture and occult center, and Rome a political center. So he's describing what these cities were like. I think it's helpful for us to be able to picture like what is happening when Paul's going from town to town. So Athens, he calls an intellectual center. And I think that fits at least with what I understand. If you were here last week, you remember Doug Davison talked about how Athens was. Um, I think, I remember he said that it was a city that was sort of in decline, that its glory days were behind it. I think, I think he said, was it 100 years prior to Paul showing up? 100 years prior to Paul showing up was sort of like the Athenian glory days. And so the city was somewhat in decline, and yet it was still an intellectual center, that there was this place there called the Areopagus. And these people would um, go to the Areopagus, and it would be the place where the newest ideas were discussed and evaluated, and, you know, different philosophies and such. Then... Um, we're going to talk about Paul going to Corinth. Corinth is a commercial center. Corinth was a big city, one of the biggest cities in the Roman Empire. It's on a peninsula in Greece where, um, if you remember from the map, 
um, it's, there's, it's got a, the water that sort of juts in both from the west and the east. And so Corinth had a port on each side of the city. One port on one side of the city that connected it by sea to Italy and another port on the other side of the city that connected it by sea to um, the Middle East. And so there were, I think, a lot of goods and services and money probably flowing through this large city called Corinth. Okay, and then he talks about Ephesus, which we'll get to later, as a popular culture center, and Rome as a political center. So Keller compares these cities to these modern-day cities. Okay, he says it's like Boston, New York, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. And I thought that that was helpful to think through. There are ways, a lot of ways in which Athens is a little bit like Boston. Boston is a city in our country <clears throat> that is kind of in decline, right? Like its glory days sort of are in the past. Boston was the third largest city in the United States, um, like back in the 1800s at one point. It's now the 21st largest city, right? So it's not quite the big deal that it was in the 1800s. And yet it is still a significant city and it is a significant intellectual center, right? Harvard is there. There are a lot of ideas that affect our whole country that come from Boston. New York is certainly a commercial center, right? A lot of things going in and out of New York. Very large city. Los Angeles is sort of a popular culture, an occult center. I think there are a lot of more like mystical, spiritual, non-Christian spirituality going on there, more so than in Boston, New York. And of course, Washington, D.C. is our political center. Like Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. Washington, D.C. is the capital of where we are. That's where the laws, that's where a lot of the power is concentrated, Washington, D.C. So imagining Paul going from Athens to Corinth to Ephesus to Rome, sometimes you picture something different than if you were to imagine him going from Boston to New York to Los Angeles to Washington, D.C., right? I thought that this was helpful. To, I wanted to start off the sermon because I think it's helpful for us to picture that Paul, on these missionary journeys is not simply traveling from nondescript village to nondescript village to nondescript village where everything looks exactly the same as it did in the city before, right? And all the people are the same and every city's the same and everyone has the same personality and everything's painted brown and he's just going from village to village saying Jesus is Lord and it's the same thing over and over again. No, he's, in, he's going from city to city and the cities have, just like nowadays, different cultures, different personalities, and different things happen when he goes to these different cities because it's a different situation every time. And so in light of all that, today's story that we're going to learn from the Bible, you could say, is about the time that Paul went to New York, all right? This is when Paul visits Corinth. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 18, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 5. Acts 18, 1 through 5, this is not the whole story of his time in Corinth, but this is the first part of the story. So we're just going to get five verses in this morning and hopefully finish next week. Acts 18, starting in verse 1, I'll read it. Here we go. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jewish man named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. <clears throat> Paul came to them. And being of the same occupation, stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So this is just the first part of the story. Bunch more stuff happens in Corinth. In fact, he stays in Corinth, I think, for maybe a little over a year and a half. But we're going to get to just the beginning of the story today. He shows up. He meets these people named Aquila and Priscilla. He's making tents. He's telling people about Jesus. That's, that's the first part of this story. And so let's go ahead and just um, start with the first verse. Okay? This passage starts with, he left Athens. Uh, we're sorry, yeah. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth. 
So this is great. This is the first time he is leaving a city like voluntarily with no one persecuting him. It's so fantastic. Those of you who have been here, you know, right? The last, it's not gone well the last several cities. So Philippi, he was thrown in jail and then they finally let him out. And then um, in Thessalonica, there was a riot and they sort of chased him out of town. And then in Berea, there was another riot and they chased him out of town. And then he goes to Athens and preaches the gospel. And then, <sighs> yay, gets to leave voluntarily and moves um, to the next city, okay? He leaves, leaves Athens under no persecution and goes to Corinth. And what happens when he gets there? Verse two, where he found, once he gets to Corinth, he found a Jewish man named Aquila, right? So he becomes friends with this guy named Aquila. How do you meet Aquila? Well, I mean, we don't know for sure because it doesn't say, but I have a pretty good guess. It's a Jewish guy named Aquila. And what is the first thing that Paul did whenever he went to a city? Yeah, he went to the synagogue. So I'm guessing one day he went to the synagogue and there he was talking to the guy next to him. And the guy said, hey, my name's Aquila. Oh, that's cool. What do you do? I make tents. No way. I make tents. Okay. And then they start, they became friends. So he meets this Jewish man named Aquila. Aquila was probably somewhat new to town. You can tell by the backstory. He had moved to Corinth and set up this tent making business after what had happened, after he'd been kicked out of Rome. Claudius, the emperor, had kicked the Jews out of Rome. So some sort of ethnic or religious discrimination is going on, right? And they all get kicked out. So now they got to go live somewhere else. So he goes to another large city, right? He goes to Corinth and sets up shop there where he meets Paul. So Aquila and Paul, there they are. Um, so he'd moved there from Italy with his, and with his wife Priscilla. So Paul becomes friends with Aquila and Priscilla because Claudius had ordered the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them and being of the same occupation, right, tent makers, stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. That word tent maker could also mean leather worker. But basically, um, Aquila and Priscilla become Paul's business partners, right? Together, he works with them and they make tents and they sell them. And so he is doing business in this business-oriented city, right? There he is in Corinth and they're making tents and they're selling them. So Aquila and Priscilla and Paul become business partners. I say partners. I mean, I don't know if they were equal partners, like they all made tents together and this was like a business they all shared. I don't know if it was Aquila and Priscilla were there first and they already had the business going and Paul just became like an employee of theirs. Because it does say that he, where does it say? It says he stayed with them. So maybe he was the employee. They said, hey, we need, we need to make more tents so we can make more money and you can, we will pay you and you can stay with us, right? So we'll give you some lodging. We'll give you some money. You work for us. So I don't know if, if, it was, if he was their employee or not, but I'm just saying it was a business relationship. What did they do together? What did Priscilla and Aquila and Paul do together? They made money together. That's what happened in Corinth. That's the first piece. Here's the second thing, though. And this is not obvious from this verse, but I'm going to prove it to you later on in the Bible. They're not only business partners. Paul and Priscilla and Aquila are also ministry partners. They're not simply make money together. They are people who make much of Jesus together. They are ministry partners. How do you know that? It doesn't say that in the verse. You're right. We've got to keep reading. So I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit to later on in the chapter. Chapter 18, same chapter, but verse 18 says this. So this is, these are some verses later on that I, Lord willing, we'll get to it in maybe a couple of weeks. But I'm skipping ahead just to show you what happens with Priscilla and Aquila. So verse, verse 18, this is maybe a year and a half later, maybe two years later. Um, Paul, having stayed on for many days, meaning stayed in Corinth for many days, said goodbye to the brothers, the brothers being the Christians that were living in Corinth, and he sailed away to Syria. That would be like, go back home. Now look at the next sentence. Priscilla and Aquila were with him. So there they are making tents, and there he is making tents with them. And then he, is, he leaves to go to the next city. And who comes with him to the next city? Priscilla and Aquila. They don't stay behind with their tent making business. They go with him. So he gets on a boat and says goodbye. And Priscilla and Aquila get on the boat with him and say goodbye to the church at Corinth and go with Paul on his journey. 
The next sentence says he shaved his head at Centria because he had taken a vow. We'll get into that some other sermon. Let's keep going. Verse 19. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there. I think the them is Priscilla and Aquila. So they go to Ephesus and then he drops them off there. But he himself entered the synagogue and engaged in discussion with the Jews. And though they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined, but said goodbye and stated, I'll come back to you again if God wills, which, spoiler alert, God does will, and he does come back to them um, again. Um, I'll come back to you again if the God wills. And then he set sail from Ephesus. So interesting now. We've got Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, and they're in Corinth, right? And they have this business relationship, but I think they also have this, you know, Jesus relationship too. So then Paul leaves, Priscilla and Aquila go with him. They go to this next city, Ephesus. Paul ministers there for a little bit, and then he leaves and goes back home, and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus. What do they do now in this new city? They were in Rome, then they moved to um, Corinth, and then they moved to Ephesus. Now what do they do in Ephesus? It doesn't say, but, but I'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, probably they made tents because that's how they made a living, but they also ministered. These were Christians in Ephesus. How do I know? Well, let's keep going. Same chapter, verse 26. So they're in Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila, and it says, um, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. The he there is a character named Apollos who has not been introduced yet. So we'll, I'll, we'll get to him at some point, I hope. But Apollos is a, is a person who shows up and begins to speak boldly in the synagogue. He is someone who is preaching about Jesus, at least preaching as much as he knows about Jesus. So he's going around preaching about Jesus. And look what it says. It says, after Priscilla and Aquila heard him. So where were they? In the synagogue, right? So they went to Ephesus and then they were there in the synagogue and they're listening. And so one day comes in this guy named Apollos and Apollos is talking about Jesus and Priscilla and Aquila are going, oh, this guy's good. In fact, this is what, they, this is what happens. They go, um, they said, this guy's good, but he doesn't, he doesn't know the whole story. Like the stuff he's saying about Jesus is correct. But there's like big parts of it he doesn't, you can tell he doesn't know. Like we need to tell him the whole gospel so that when he preaches about Jesus, he says all the true things instead of just some of them. So after Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Right? They said you, you'd be an even better preacher if like you said like all the true stuff. Right? So can we tell you, can we tell you the stuff you don't know yet? And, you know, and I, the way the story goes, Apollos apparently goes, yeah, I, I, I want to know all the stuff. So they train, they educate Apollos, and then the story goes on from there, and Apollos goes on and becomes this great preacher of God's word. And he disciples people, like he helps Christians, and he helps non-Christians become Christians, like he becomes this great gospel preacher. But I'm, I'm trying to point out to you that Priscilla and Aquila aren't just tent makers in Corinth. Now they're in Ephesus, and they're training and teaching people so that they become better preachers, and so that the, the gospel goes forth in a better way. These people are ministers, not just tent makers. And then the story goes on from there. So I want to read you one other passage, and this is from Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Uh, Romans is written by Paul later on. Um, and I don't know how much time passes, but later on Paul writes Romans, and he writes Romans to the, anybody want to guess? Romans, yes. I always answer easy questions so you can be confident. Okay, so yes, he writes Romans to the Romans. So he's writing to these Christians that are in Rome. And at the end of his letter in chapter 16, he starts saying like personal things to people by name that he knows. And I want you to notice what he says in Romans chapter 16, verse three. Give my greetings to Prissa and Aquila. Now, who's that? That's Priscilla and Aquila. Well, why does it say Prissa? Because they did the same thing we do, you know, like Katie, Catherine, Bob, Robert, like same thing, okay? They, they do the whole shorten the name sometime thing just like we do in our culture. So give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila is the same thing as give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. Now look what he calls them, my coworkers in Christ Jesus. 
I don't think you'd call them your coworkers in Christ Jesus if they were just tent makers with you, right? If they were just your coworkers. No, they're not just my coworkers. They're my coworkers in Christ Jesus. They're not just people that I made tents with. These are, these are ministry partners. My, give my greetings to uh, Prisca and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. There's a whole story behind that that I don't know, but you know it's got to be interesting. And get to heaven one day and ask him what that's about. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. And then look at this part. Greet also the church that meets in their home. So Priscilla and Aquila weren't just tent makers. They had a home and there was a church that met in it, right? They're church leaders. These are people that have a church that meets in their home. Now, where is this church that meets in their home? Rome, right? Because Romans was written to the Romans. It's not hard to figure out. So now when we put it all together, we can figure out Priscilla and Aquila had a tent making business in Corinth and they were helping out Paul. And then there was also some point when they were in Ephesus and they were educating and training Apollos. And then there's some other point when they're back in Rome again and there's a church meeting in their house. And so I give you all of these little pieces from the story just so that you see that when we go back to now, Acts 18, and we talk about what, who Paul ran into when he showed up in Corinth, I want you to see these people are not just his business partners. They're missionary partners. They're ministry partners. So let's go back to chapter 18 now. Uh, verses, I don't know. What's, what's the next verse you guys have? Four? Sure, let's do four. So this is chapter four, or verse four is right after the part where it says they were tent makers, they're all living together, making tents. So then here's the next verse. He, Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So the pattern for Paul's life in Corinth, at least when he first got there, seems to be that he was working during the week and evangelizing on Saturdays. Okay? When he first shows up in Corinth, he's making tents, and then he would go to the synagogue every Sabbath, right? That's the seventh day, um, the Saturday. And he tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. He was there in the synagogue. He's trying to tell them about Jesus. So it looks like he's working Monday through Friday and then telling people about Jesus on Saturday or maybe working Sunday through Friday and then telling um, people about Jesus. He's proclaiming the gospel. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. Like the thing that we celebrate when we come together to this day, right? That Jesus has saved us and he died on the cross for our sins and he's coming back. He's the Messiah, he's the Lord. So he's proclaiming the gospel to them on Saturdays and then working throughout the week. And so the question is, well, why is he doing that? Why is he just preaching like one day a week? Why is he just telling people about Jesus one day a week and making tents all the other days of the week? And this is my guess. You want to know what my guess is? Because he had no money, okay? He didn't have any money. He showed up in Corinth and, uh, yep, your kid needs attention and kids down. Um, he shows up in Corinth and doesn't have any money. And so what do you got to do? You got to work right? You got you to do something to survive. So here he is in Corinth, and does he want to tell people about Jesus? Certainly he wants to tell people about Jesus, but he needs to eat. He needs to have a roof over his head. So he gets a job, and he makes tents so that he can survive, and so that he can eat, and so that he can live indoors. But then he shows up on Saturdays and continues to do what he's been doing. So what I'm saying is Paul at this point, he was an evangelist. He was a pastor, but he wasn't an evangelist and a pastor as a career at this point. At this point in the story, He's a tent maker who's evangelizing and preaching on the side. And then you get to verse 5. And there are, I think, quite a few people who believe that there's a change in emphasis. There's a change in what happens in Corinth in verse 5. Here's the verse. When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. 
So, so he's in Corinth, he's making tents, some, something's going on for a while, and then eventually Silas and Timothy hook back up with him, right? They connect with him, they, they reunite with him. Remember how he had been traveling with them and then separated? So now that they come back, when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, what happened? The HCSB says Paul was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. What does it mean that he was occupied with, with preaching the message? Is that anything different than the verse before? And it seems to me the HCSB, the way it's translated, it's really kind of, I think, maybe hard to tell. If this verse means what I think it means, um, it's a little hard to tell in this translation what Paul's doing here. It seems like Silas and Timothy show up and he's occupied with preaching. But, but what is that? He was already preaching, right? But he was mostly making tents, right? And preaching a little bit. It almost seems like Silas and Timothy came down and somewhere around that time, he becomes maybe more occupied with preaching, and so I think this is, the idea here I think maybe is more obvious from other translations. So I want to go ahead and read you three other translations of Acts chapter 18, verse 5. And if these translations are right, it will help us to really get what's going on here. So um, if you'd put up that verse, I want to, Acts 18, 5, I want to read it to you first in NIV. The New International Version translates that verse this way. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. That's the, how they translate occupied there, right? Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. The New Living Translation translates it this way. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And then if you look at the New American Standard, NASB, it says, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Do you get what's going on here? The verses before said he's making tents and then on Saturdays, he's reasoning with the Jews. And then Silas and Timothy show up, and then there's this Greek word that apparently means like really gets into preaching, right? Really devoted. So probably what happens is Silas and Timothy show up, and Paul starts preaching more than before. Now here's the question. Well, how does he get to do that? Especially if what you said earlier, Mario, didn't you think he needed to like make tents to survive? So then Paul, Silas and Timothy show up, and suddenly he's able to just start preaching more? How is he able to do that? Here's the theory. You want to hear the theory? The theory is Silas and Timothy showed up with money. Okay? <laughs> Silas and Timothy showed up with money, and so when they showed up, Paul was able to go, oh, I don't have to make as many tents. I can start spending all my time preaching the word, right? I can, I can, I can devote myself much like, exclusively to preaching now that these two guys have shown up. Now, you might say, well, why do people think they showed up with money? The verse doesn't say they showed up with money. And the answer to that is because other books of the Bible refer back to this time period, and they say that that happened right around this time period. So other books of the Bible that were written later refer back to this, this time. And so I want to just read you some of them. So Philippians was written, I think, years later. Let me read it to you. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. It says, and you Philippians know, this is a letter from Paul to the Philippians. He says, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when were the early days of the gospel? Well, you're about to see. In the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, ooh, I know that story. So Paul went to Philippi, that was in Macedonia, right? And Thessalonica, I think, is also in Macedonia, and so is Berea. And then he left Berea and he went to Athens, and that's when he left Macedonia, as far as I understand the geography, right? He was there in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, and then left Macedonia and went to Athens and Corinth, right? Boston and New York. So when he left Macedonia, so, so he's referring to that time period that is Acts 18 is about, right? 
and 17, Acts 17 and 18. So I left Macedonia, and what does he say? He says, you know that when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. He's writing this letter later, referring back to an earlier time period, and he goes, hey, you were the guys that when I went to Athens and Corinth, you sent money for me to live on. You sent money to meet my needs. In fact, that wasn't even when you started. Even when I was in Thessalonica, before I officially left Macedonia, you were supporting me. You were, you were giving money to pay for my needs. In Thessalonica, and then when I left Macedonia, you kept doing it. He refers back to that. Let me show you another one. This one's from, this is an interesting one about money and, and specifically Corinth. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter, um, which one is it? I think it's nine. It is nine. 1 Corinthians chapter nine. And this is, this is a relevant passage because this one's written to the Corinthians. Who are the Corinthians? Well, they're the people in the city that we're talking about right now, right? In Acts 18, he went to Corinth. So later on, he writes a letter back to the Corinthians, the people that became Christians while he was there in Corinth. And when he writes to the Corinthians, this is what he says. I'm just reading some excerpts from chapter 9. He says, Or do Barnabas and I alone have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, and who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Later on in the same chapter, he says in verse 11, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? However, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. So he's writing to the Corinthians later on, and basically what he says to them, I mean, the gist of it, there's a lot to this chapter, but it seems to me the gist of it is, under normal circumstances, it is good and honorable and appropriate and a great idea for people to pay their pastor, right? For when someone comes in and evangelizes people and disciples people and teaches them the word of God, he uses these examples of they have the right to refrain from working, meaning like regular working, like tent making, and they would do, their job would be to preach and teach the Bible. And so that's why he uses all these metaphors, who, uh, what shepherd shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock. And so he says it, 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 would, it would be totally appropriate for the congregation to pay um, for the needs of the, the minister. Um, and he says, he said, we, we have this right, right? If others have this right, then don't we? And then he says, but we've not made use of this right. He's reminding the Corinthians. He said, you remember when I was there and I was your pastor for like a year and a half? You remember you didn't pay me ever? Like, so it would have been good if you did, but, but in this particular case, I'm glad you didn't. Like, you know, I wasn't trying to get any money out of you. Like I didn't, I didn't get a penny out of you. I pastored you for free the whole year and a half, two years I was there. And he says, I'm glad that I did that. It would have been good. Under, under other circumstances, it's a great idea. But in this case, I'm glad that, I'm glad you guys didn't pay me anything. And um, then one more thing I'm going to read to you, and this is from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11. So same audience, Corinth. Um, I think this is maybe a few months later. And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this, starting in verse 7. He said, Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. So he says, that's what I did. Like, I humbled myself. I was there. I was your volunteer evangelist and pastor the whole time. I preached the gospel to you free of charge. Look at the next verse. He says, I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. Now, this is a metaphor. He did not rob other churches like ski mask, where's the safe? Okay, I mean, he's just saying, I took from other churches, the other churches paid me so that when I ministered to you, you didn't have to. Other people, 
Other people did that, right? I took pay from them to minister to you. Uh, Verse 9, when I was present with you and in need, he's referring back to Acts chapter 18, right? When I was there. When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone, right? I didn't burden anyone in Corinth. You guys didn't give me any money, right? I was making tents. And then there was that time where I wasn't making tents and it was like, well, magical. He doesn't have to make tents anymore. And yet we're not paying him. How did that happen, right? When I was present with you in need, I did not burden anyone for, how did he do it? Look, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. Now, who are the brothers of Macedonia? Probably the Philippians, right? I mean, there's three different towns up there, but, but what we know from Philippians, it says you were the only one doing it, remember? The brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I have kept myself and will keep myself from burdening you in any way, right? Don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want back pay. Like, I don't want, I've never been a burden to you. I don't ever want to be a burden to you, but I'm just letting you know. It was the Macedonians that got me through that time. So I I read all of those things so that we can now, let's go back to Acts chapter 18, verse 5. This is what I think is going on here. He's making tents with Priscilla and Aquila, right? He's telling the people in the synagogue about Jesus. And then when Silas and Timothy came down, where'd they come down from? From Macedonia. Paul was occupied with preaching the message. He was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. I think Silas and Timothy came with that money from Philippi and Paul said, I don't have to make so many tents now. We're going to really focus on telling these people about Jesus. So that's our story this morning. And what I want to do now is I want to ask the question, okay, how does this story apply to our lives? Right? What does this have to do with our lives? And I would say my answer is very much. I think this story has very much to do with your life. So firstly, let me say this. What we learned from the passages that we learned today is that we will see that, <clears throat> or we see that there, there, there will be some people like me who devote ourselves to ministry full-time and are provided for by others. Like, that's a thing, and we see that in the Scripture. There will be some people like me who devote ourselves to ministry full-time and are provided for by others. And since we're on the topic, I just wanted to take a a moment in this sermon to say to you this. Anybody who is here right now who is, like all of you in this room who are financial supporters of Good News Church, I just want to say thank you to you. Everybody that here who is a financial supporter of Good News Church, I want to thank you for the privilege of me being able to do what I do, like that I get to focus on something without having to have another job. I don't have to make tents. I don't have to make widgets. I'm able to focus on certain things with my whole life. I don't know what widgets are, but people always use that as an illustration. (laughs) Um, Those of you who financially support this church, your generosity allows me to do the ministry that I do. And so I, I don't often get to say this, but I just wanted to say thank you. It is a privilege and an honor, and I thank you. Um, and I ran this past Doug Davison earlier this week, and he said, would you tell them I feel the same way? And so <laughs> Doug, Doug also says thank you. Okay, so that's one thing. We see that that's a thing. Here's the next thing. We also see that there may be times when people like me are supported by others rather than being supported directly by the people that they are ministering to, right? We see this this in the case with Paul. The Philippians were supporting him as he was ministering to the Corinthians. And typically when someone is being supported by someone else but not the people they're ministering to, a lot of times, at least in our culture, we call those people missionaries, right? Missionaries. Someone else supports them but not the people that they are reaching, and so there are times when you have that pastor-congregation relationship, there's time where you have the missionary and their, their congregation back home relationship. And then there are other times when people like me, who say, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, that they have to go get regular jobs because the situation calls for it. That's what happened with Paul. There's, the situation called for it, and what do I got to do? I'm going to keep telling people about Jesus, but I'm going to have to make tents 
to survive. And there may come some time in my life where I'm going to go, you know what? I'm going to have to go get a regular job. That's what I got to do. I'm still going to be ministering, but, but I'm going to have to do something because I got to feed my family. So that's one thing we get out of this passage. Now you might say back to that, okay, well, good. That is, that is a good application for you, pastor. But what about us regular people? Like, how does this apply to us? Oh, well, you should have specified that. Okay, so how the way it applies to you? And I think this is a great question. As best as I can tell, most of you in this room will be called by God to do what Paul did in the first four chapters, or the first four verses of this chapter. Most of you in this room will be called by God to do what Priscilla and Aquila did perhaps their whole lives, which is to work a job and serve Jesus with your life. Not everybody in this room. But, but most of the people in this room, you're, you, you're, you will be called to do what Paul did in Corinth temporarily and what Priscilla and Aquila probably always did. Work a job and serve Jesus with your life. Let me give you some illustrations of this. I have a friend named Daniel. Um, Daniel is a realtor here in town. And in fact, Daniel just spoke from this stage. I think he was standing right about here. He is sitting over there now. He's the tall guy who talked about prayer group and come to pray. And sometimes it's hard to pray, but come to the prayer group. Remember him? So Daniel's my friend. Daniel um, used to be a pastor in New York City, okay? For years, he was a pastor in New York City, moved down to Florida, and became a real estate agent here these past, what has it been, three years, four years? Yeah. Um, I was with him a month or two ago, and there was a point where, as we were talking, well, I guess I, so that you know this about his, his personality, so he's a, a real estate agent, but I think he still considers himself a pastor, right? Like I'm a, he, he loves to disciple people and he loves to teach people about the Bible and he loves to care for people and counsel people. And so he's still a pastor. He's just doing real estate right now. And so I was talking with him a month or two ago and he said to me, um, he, he said, Mario, I feel that God is using real estate to fund my ministry, God is using real estate to fund my ministry. He's a youth leader here at this church. He's leading the pair group. Like he said, I'm, I'm doing ministry and, and I feel that God is using real estate to fund my ministry. That's what I think God's called a lot of you to do. Now you might say, yeah, but that guy used to be a pastor. Mario, you still haven't talked about regular people. Well, first of all, we are regular people, but <laughs> let, me, let me pick someone who's never been a pastor of a church or anything. Okay, there's a guy who sits on that chair every single um, week um, in the second service. His name's Jeremy. And Jeremy, um, sometimes when you ask him what he is or what he does, sometimes this is the answer he gives. He says, I'm an IT minister. Maybe some of you know Jeremy. Okay, he says, I'm an IT minister. What in the world is an IT minister? And this is what I think he means by that. First of all, he says IT because that's what he does for money right? Like he, do, he works in the uh, villages doing all their like computer stuff, right? He does villages, computer stuff. IT is, is how he feeds his family. I, IT is how he lives. But he doesn't say, I'm an IT guy. He says, I'm an IT minister. What, what does he mean? So meaning I do IT for a living, but minister is what I am. Minister is what I live for. Minister is what I do. He tells, like, he works with people, and he talks with people, and he tells people about Jesus, and he goes out into the, like, town square and just tells total strangers about Jesus, and he has taught classes here about how to tell people about Jesus. He has preached a sermon from this stage about how to tell people about Jesus. He has um, had, uh, like, small groups and community groups in his home. He's a minister, but he does IT to pay the bills. I believe that everyone in this room who is a Christian, is called to be a minister 
Everyone in this room is called to ministry. And when I say that, I want to be real clear. I'm not saying everybody in this room is called to be a pastor. I'm saying everybody in this room is called to be a minister. You might say, what's the difference? Aren't pastor and minister synonyms? Yes, some people use them as synonyms. I don't, okay? No, I'm saying I do not believe everybody in this room is called to be a pastor. I do think everyone in this room is called to be a minister. There is a difference. Not everyone is called to shepherd a particular flock. Not everyone is called to lead a particular group of Christians. Not everyone is called to preach and teach for a living. But everyone can work their occupation as unto the Lord and honor God in it and can use whatever gifts they have to support his mission. And God gives some people the gift of compassion. And compassion is like the thing that fuels their decision-making as they, do, as they like relate to people. And some people proclaim God boldly in the environments that they are in. And some people work quietly with their hands and they serve others for the Lord, a lot of times going unnoticed. And some people lead, but they don't teach, right? They lead groups of Christians, but they don't necessarily teach Christian doctrine. And some people teach Christian stuff, but they don't lead. And some people show hospitality, or they use the gift of encouragement in order to help others. And some people work hard and they fund things that they can't do themselves. But each person is called to serve God in the best way that they can, and that is ministry. When I was about 17 years old, I was in school. My mom enrolled me in a private Christian school. And we were in Bible class when this happened. I was sitting there in Bible class, and there was a room full of like 16 and 17-year-old students. I would guess maybe there were 40 or 50 of us in the room. And the Bible teacher got up and said to this group of 16 and 17-year-olds, she said, all of you, when you grow up, need to grow up and you need to become pastors and pastor's wives and missionaries and Christian school teachers. All of you need to grow up and become that. And she, and she even, to, just in case I was misunderstanding, she was clear. She said, don't grow up and become doctors and lawyers and plumbers. Leave that stuff for the world. You need to serve God. That's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard from a Christian teacher. <laughs> and it's probably bad for multiple reasons, maybe more than I have time today to unpack. But let me just point out one of the reasons why I think that that's a problem. And this one was obvious to me, like in the moment as a 17-year-old, that, that after she said it, I, I raised my hand. <laughs> I was one of those kids. And I asked her, I said, if everyone's called to be something like this, I said, if everyone's called to be a pastor, who will be in the congregation? It's not a bad question. If everybody's preaching, who's listening to the sermons? If everyone is drawing a paycheck for their ministry, who's paying them? Of course the majority of Christians are going to have regular jobs. But here's the thing she was right about. She was right about this. Every Christian is called to serve God. And given that that is true, we need this place to become a room full of IT ministers and real estate agent ministers and engineer ministers and financial planner ministers and chiropractor ministers and firefighter ministers and cashier ministers and waitress ministers and bartender ministers and homeschool mom ministers and college student ministers and police officer ministers. We need to be like Priscilla and Aquila making tents and serving the Lord. 
And, and, and some of you are doing it. Like, I don't even want to say, like, this is what we ought to do. You know, you stink. You're not doing it. I'm saying, I'm the pastor of this church. I know many of you, and that's already happening. And it's fun to watch. There are many of you already doing that. I hope everyone else will join the team. But there are lots of you that are doing that. Let me just give one example. There are lots of examples. Let me just give one example. Track Life. Track Life is a program that our church sponsors, and it's related to a camp that our church sponsors called Track. And so if you're not familiar with it, I'll just quickly explain it to you. Uh, Track is a camp that we do in the summer. It's it's T-R-A-C, Teen Reach Adventure Camp. And it's middle school students and high school students who are in the foster care system. That's who's welcome to come to this camp. Um, These are kids who have been abused, neglected, or abandoned. And so we have a camp for these kids. And so if you are a track life mentor, what that means is at some point in the summer, you came with our church on our church mission trip and you showed up to track and you cared for some kids in a cabin that had been neglected, abused, or abandoned. And then at some point after that, you got to know a kid, they got to know you, they picked you, you picked them. I don't even know how the whole system works. But at some point, you started a mentorship relationship that lasts the whole school year. And I think the mentors meet with their mentee like once or twice a month throughout the whole Um, school year. And there are many of you that are doing that. You're looking out for someone who has no parents or has no access to parents. But those of you that are doing that, you're not getting paid to do it. I know those of you who are doing that. Some of you are graphic designers and some of you are piano teachers and some of you are bankers. But you're looking out for a kid that doesn't have parents. That's beautiful. And that's not the only thing. Like, there are many of you in this room that are doing that, and you're not doing track life. You're doing it in some other way. You are serving God with your life. And it's beautiful. And so I wanted to end this sermon by asking you this question. I wanted you to imagine this. What if every Christian in Marion County did that? I don't mean every Christian in Marion County being on staff at a church. I am saying, what if every Christian in Marion County, what if we all devoted our lives to God first? and made money somehow to fund our ministry. I mean, I'm just going to ask you right now, will you close your eyes and just for a few seconds imagine what Marion County would look like if the Christians of Marion County devoted their lives to be ministers first and we pay the bills however. Can you picture what Marion County would look like? With thousands of people doing that? It's amazing, isn't it? I want to live there. Probably most of you in this room know Christians often pray these words. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If those of us who believe in Jesus devoted our lives to him and we made money however, but we were, we were a something minister and we lived that way in Marion County, I think there would come a day that some of us would go, whoa, that prayer's happening. God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Please consider carefully what I've said today. Let's pray. God, sometimes it's really exciting to just take you seriously and imagine what would happen if we all did. And so I pray we won't stop there. I pray we won't just imagine and then go back to our lives. I pray that we would imagine and then step toward that. I thank you for the people in this room who are already doing that. I mean, Marion County is better than it would be if it weren't for your people here doing your work. 
But I pray you would let us more and more be people who minister for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.